Well, good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, the 7th of July. Oh, my gosh, time is just flying by. Um, I don't know. Some people say they're having problems with being quarantined. I have no problem at all. I just have a grand old time. <laughs> I rather enjoy being quiet and low-key. Anyway, that's just me, but I'm old. And I don't have to rush out to work, etc. So welcome to our weight management call, TR90 Body Burn 30 by NuSkin. And it truly is a great program. If you do the exercise and you follow the program, it will work. But you must do the exercise also. And it doesn't have to be intense exercise. It can be walking every day and climbing stairs. It can be lifting small weights, like two-pound weights. It can be doing lunges. It can be doing squats. But it doesn't have to be excessive. Just do it. And if you can get in at least 10,000 steps a day, and if possible more, 10,000 steps is four miles. That'll keep your heart really healthy. And when your heart is healthy, that's when your brain is healthy. And here we go again. I'm on the brain. It's all about your brain. It's all about keeping your, your brain healthy. So I'm going to start this morning with the National Geographic. I like to do a little bit of real data for you, meaning uh, scientific data and observations. And this is your brain, 100 things you never knew. Now, memory. Going to put throw this one out. Did you know that memories are more likely to stick if they have if they are combined with information and emotion? So if you add an emotional component to a memory, or if there's a chances are it'll last way longer. We also have memory categories. Although a keen observer could no doubt create a very long list of attributes for, del- for a delicious red apple. The information would fall into actually four categories of memory. One, sensory. Two, motor. Three, visuospatial. And four, language. Sensory memory. Sensory memory involves the five senses, with smell as the most powerful memory trigger, as the senses create our appreciation of the world. It's not surprising that many, many memories can be recalled via a sensory cue. A certain song, for example, might bring back up memories of a wedding or a family reunion. People with powerful memories often create visual cues in their imagination to increase the strength of their long-term memories. So if you have a memory that you love, think about it and add some emotion and it'll make it stronger and it'll stay forever or at least longer. Then there's motor memory. Motor memory provides fine motor control for practice actions like cursive writing. These include everything from the subtle controls over the vocal cords to produce speech to the motor control that underlines the complicated act of walking without losing one's balance. 
Motor memory is tied to the learning of skills. Damaged, damage to brain areas that affect one invariably affect the other. Recent research suggests that motor memory, motor memory's application to learning new skill takes place in takes place in two stages. The first stage recruits neural networks that best represent the motions required for the skill, such as the eyes, ears, and fingers for playing the piano. The second stage occurs after the basic motions are mastered and implicitly memorized. In other words, they go to automation. It's just, for example, once you've learned to write your name in cursive fluently, it's on automation. You do it so often, you don't even think about how you make the letters. They just come, they almost pour out of your hands. So the second stage occurs after the basic motions are mastered and implicitly memorized, when the brain recruits additional neurons to refine the motions. That's the difference between the adequate performance of a weekend musician and one who practices for a seat in a symphony orchestra. So there we are. Oh, by the way, here's another little one. Did you know that scientists have created false memories in mice? So beware. You might be able to make false memories of your own and you truly might believe that they're there, but they are false. They're in your imagination. So you, you sometimes, did I do that or did I just imagine it? Have you done that? I have. So I'm going to go back. We're on now on brain rules. John Medina, the 12 principles for surviving, thriving at work, home, and school. I'm going to read again, as I do with each of the chapters, the rule. The rule two is the human brain evolves two. Remember, we don't have one brain in our heads. We have three. We started with a lizard brain to keep us breathing, then added a brain like a cat, and then topped those with the thin layer of jello known as the cortex, the third and powerful human brain. Humans took over the earth by adapting to change itself. After we were forced from the trees to the savannah when the climate swings disrupted our food supply. So that going from four legs to two to walk on the savannah freed up energy to develop a complex brain. We could have built brawn or we could have built brain and we decided to stay skinny and small and build a big brain. Symbolic reasoning is a uniquely human talent. It may have arisen for our need to understand one, one another's intentions and motivations, allowing us to coordinate within a group. Language and representation is a handy trait. Symbolic reasoning turned out to be a versatile gadget. Our evolutionary ancestors didn't have to keep falling into the same quicksand pit if they could tell others about it. Even better, if they learned to put up warning signs 
with words and language, we could extract a great deal of knowledge about our living situation without ever having to experience its harsh lessons directly. So it makes sense that once our brains develop symbolic reasoning, we kept it. The brain is a biological tissue. It follows the rules of biology, and there's no bigger rule in biology than evolution through natural selection. Whoever gets the food survives. Whoever survives gets to have sex, and whoever has sex gets to pass his and her traits on to the next generation. But what stages did we go through to reach that point? How can we trace the rise of our plump three-pound intellects? So what I want you to do is make your hands into a fist, put your your thumbs straight up, and put your two hands together. There's your three-pound brain. That little size of your two fists stuck together is what controls your life and makes you go. Is that not amazing? How brilliant are we? You might remember those old posters showing the development of humankind as a series of linear and increasingly sophisticated creatures. Medina has an old one in his office. The first drawing shows a chimpanzee, and the final drawing shows a 1970s businessman. In between are strangely blended variations of creatures with names like Peking, Peking Man and Astralopithecus. There are two problems with this drawing. First, almost everything about it is wrong. <laughs> Second, nobody really knows how to fix the errors. One of the biggest reasons for our lack of knowledge is that there is so little hard evidence. Most of the fossilized bones that have been collected from our ancestors could fit in your garage with enough room left over for your bicycle and lawnmower. DNA evidence has been helpful and there is, a, there is strong evidence that we came from Africa somewhere between 7 million to 10 million years ago. Virtually everything else is disputed by some cranky professional somewhere. Understanding our intellectual progress has been just as difficult. Most of it has been charted by using the best available evidence, tool-making, that's not necessarily the most accurate way. Even if it were, the record is not very impressive. For the first million years, we just about grabbed rocks and smashed them into things. Scientists, perhaps trying to salvage some of our dignity, call these stoned hand axes. A million years later, our progress was still not very impressive. We still grabbed hand axes, but we began to smash them into other rocks, making some of them more pointed. Now we had sharper rocks. It wasn't much, but, with, but it was enough to begin untethering ourselves from the East African womb and, and indeed any other ecological niche. Things got more impressive, from creating fire to cooking food. Eventually, 
we migrated out of Africa in successive waves. Our first direct homo, homo sapien ancestors making the journey as little, little as 100,000 years ago. And then, 40,000 years ago, something almost unbelievable happened. They appeared to suddenly have taken up painting and sculpture, creating fine art and jewelry. No one knows why the changes were so abrupt, but they were profound. 30,000, no, 37,000 years later, we were making pyramids. And 5,000 years after that, bucket fuel. What happened to start us on our journey? Could the growth spurt be explained by the onset of a dual representation ability? The answer is fraught with controversy, but the simplest explanation is by far the clearest. It seems that our great achievements mostly had to do with a nasty change in the weather. There were new rules for survival. Most of human history occurred in climates where the jungles of South, in, like the jungles of South America, steamy, humid, and in dire need of air conditioning. It was comfortably predictable. Then the climate changed. Scientists estimate that there were no fewer than 17 ice ages in the past 40 million years. Only in a few places, such as the Amazonian and African rainforests, does anything like our original sultry millions of years of millions of years old climate survive. Ice cores taken from Greenland shown show that the climate triggers sorry ice cores taken from Greenland show that the ice clim, that the climate staggers from being unbearably hot to being sadistically cold as little as a hundred thousand years ago you could be born in a nearly arctic environment and then mere decades later be taken off be taking off your loincloth to catch the golden rays of the grassland sun such instability was bound to have a profound effect and powerful effect on any creature forced to endure it most could not the rules for survival were changing and a new class of creatures would start to feel the fill the vacuum created as more and more of their roommates died out. That was the crisis our ancestors faced as the tropics of northern and eastern Africa turned dry, dusty, turned into dry, dusty plains, not immediately, but inexorably, beginning maybe 10 million years ago. Some researchers blame it on the Himalayas, which had reached such heights as to disturb global aspects as atmospheric currents. Others blame the sudden appearance of the Isthmus of Panama, which had changed the mixing of the Pacific and Atlantic Ocean currents and disturbed global weather patterns, as El Nino's do today. Whatever the reason, the changes were powerful enough to disrupt the weather all over the world, including in our African birthplace, but not too powerful or too subtle, 
the phenomenon called the Goldilocks effect. If the changes had been too sudden, the climate violence would have killed our ancestors off outright. And I wouldn't, and he wouldn't be writing this book today. If the changes had been too slow, there would have been no reason to develop our talent for symbolism and against and again, there would be no book. But instead, like Goldilocks, the third bowl of porridge, the conditions were just right. The change was enough to shake us out of our comfortable trees, but it wasn't enough to kill us when we landed. Landing, however, was only the beginning of the hard work. We quickly discovered that our new digs were already occupied, the locals had co-opted with food sources, and most of them were stronger and faster than we are. Faced with grasslands rather than trees, we rudely were introduced to the idea of flat. It was disconcerting to think that we started our evolutionary journey on an unfamiliar horizontal plane in the words, with the words, eat me. I'm prey taped to the back of our evolutionary butts. So we went from the trees to the flatlands and we realized that we were the prey and that we better figure out how to survive and look what happened. All right. So if nothing else this week, move, 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 climb some stairs, do some light resistance training, Keep moving and keep that brain going. All right, let's see where we are here. And there we are. I hope you enjoyed learning about the savannah and how we became really smart. Very interesting. Isn't it, though? I think it's fascinating. We became clever with big brains because that was how we were to that's how we were to survive. It's the survival of the fittest and we obviously are pretty fit. Now I hope we don't go and mess it up. <laughs> Which we might do. <laughs> so have a lovely day everybody. Thank Keep you. That brain going. Keep that brain going. Be well, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good day. You also. God bless. Blessings.